And I found VR as a, a youth working tool to kind of engage with young people who had disconnected in many ways from school and other services. I found having a VR in the youth space just to say, hey, do you want to drop in? Lots of young people were, were knocking on the door and it was it was a really great tool to make that connection with them. Certainly when COVID struck and, and you know everywhere was found ourselves in a very different working and living situation. Um, it was an excellent time to revisit the idea of this, this virtual youth space. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about celebrating Irish innovation and Irish innovators globally. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. Welcome back to the Digital Irish Podcast. I didn't say this in the last episode, but Happy New Year. For Digital Irish, this is going to be a really big year, doubling down on live events this year in New York and London. So if you're in those cities, please check out digitalirish.com. If you're interested in learning more about Digital Irish, whatever your connection is to Ireland, do check out the website. We're really focused on connecting people together, networking with the US and local ecosystems, and learning from top entrepreneurs and industry experts. Join the community. We really want to hear from you and really want to make sure that we're connecting you with the rest of the community as well. On today's episode, we speak to Barry Hahi, who is the founder of Hologen. Hologen is an independent VR consultancy for youth and education projects. With the use of VR growing, I was really interested to hear his point of view on how this could be applied to learning programs, events, and creative collaborations. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm looking forward to this. So today we're going to talk about your work in VR and how that is impacting so many lives and the opportunity behind it. But I actually want to take you back pre-VR because when I spoke to you before, it sounded like your experience with digital art and media goes back a long, long while. How did this interest in digital art and media start for you? I was born and raised in, in Lurgan, County Armagh, back in the, um, the late 80s into the 90s. That's when I was kind of growing up and going to college. And, you know, with the troubles and everything happening back then, it wasn't it wasn't very conducive with um, opportunities um, and particularly going to college and things like that. And even in school, I kind of scraped through um, as best I could. Um, but in, in, in amongst all of that, I had a great family and good friends. Uh, but one of the things that really shone through for me was an interest and, and a bit of a passion for art and being able to draw quite easily many, many things. So when it got to kind of leaving school, I actually managed to get into a, a pre-uni course, which was in, in a college then in Lurgan. From, from there, um, I was able to kind of look at lots of different disciplines, like everything from textiles, printmaking. Um, but one of the things that really jumped out at me was the opportunity to use computers for, for design and drawing and things like that. So again, this is pre-internet. It was an old Macintosh, like one of the first Macintosh and the first versions of Photoshop. Uh, and I started to begin to experiment using using pixels and, and drawing with the mouse and things like that. So for me, that's where it started off. That, that was 30 years ago this year. Um, and from then, there's just been a, a kind of constant experimentation with, with pixels uh, Photoshop being one platform, but many other platforms that I started to use then as an artist. 
So, so that's kind of where it started. And, and this is, it definitely was in the more recent years, a lead in to looking at um, immersive technology such as VR for creative exploration, I suppose. For that like kind of first experience with with VR, like what was it that really kind of captured your imagination with it? Like what was the kind of the initial moments that you started uh, experimenting and experiencing and the VR environment? I'll, I'll not repeat the swear words in, in kind of surprise, you know, but it was definitely a moment where there was lots of light bulbs um, flying off for me. Um, the application that I was using, um, or the, the hardware, was uh, an Oculus Go. Um, so it, it's now being discontinued by Meta, but it was um, the first kind of standalone device. Um, no, no cables, you charge it up and it, it kind of hooks into your Wi-Fi. I had a try with this. And the platform that I dropped into, um, the app that I used was Tiltbrush, um, which is a 3D kind of design space. Um, so it transports the uh, participant into, I suppose, a virtual studio and you have a virtual palette and you could kind of draw and sculpt very very easily using these tools so for me that's when like as an artist light bulbs were flying off but but immediately just after that I started thinking very much like as an educator and youth worker it's like like what if this was a multi-user space which it wasn't at that time but what if this was a multi-user space and you know we were able to kind of lock the space down and bring learners in and how cool would that be, you know, and, and what could you get from that? And, you know, suppose fundamentally young people who were able, who would be able to do that wouldn't have to physically go to the, the school or the classroom or the youth space to, to kind of access a professional or a team of professionals. So that's that's kind of where it started. It's definitely been uh, quite the interesting journey since that point in time. Now, you mentioned your the, the fact that you're a youth worker and that VR was a passion and you started having ideas of the possibilities of bringing your passion for VR and art with your work as a youth worker together, that this was just something that kind of came to mind as you started experiencing this. With you working firsthand with young people and young people from various different backgrounds, how was the thinking in regards to like, okay, well, how do I take this to the next step? Like, are, are children going to adopt this? Are schools going to take this on? Like, what was your aim initially? What was your initial thinking here? I suppose around that time as well, I was looking at different kind of agencies and different, I, was, I, I kind of started looking around um, outside of Ireland. Was there, is there, you know, is there an online service for young people? You know, would there be already an existing project that would look at immersive technology such as VR from a, an educational or youth working perspective. And at that time, I couldn't really find anything. <clears throat> but what I did find was an organization in Finland called Netari, N-E-T-A-R-I. And they were founded, um, I believe, by Save the Children back in the early noise. And it's possibly the world's first national fully online youth service um, and for me, it was I found that really fascinating because, you know, Finland being the country that it is, it's very, very quite kind of rural regions. And within those kind of areas, you get maybe young people being quite disconnected, particularly in winter and things like that. So I was kind of like really interested about Natari, the background of Natari, the fact that they were um, a fully online youth service and hosted by a team of youth workers who were all in digital spaces, um, but a very physically different points of the country. Um, now, I would say that Natari um, was and still is like a chat 
box kind of um, service. So young people could sign up to, to kind of attend kind of uh, chat room type conversations, be it around a certain game such as Minecraft, or it could even be kind of mental health. You know, they would sign up and they would be welcomed into a, a conversation by a, a trained youth worker or, or, or counselor. Um, but, but for me, and this was around the time with, with Try and VR for the first time, I was like, what would that look like if it was like a 3D version of Natari? You know, what if we were looking at a not just a countrywide youth service, but a regional one like the EU, where we could have uh, a professional teacher or a youth worker in somewhere like Ireland, and they could be co-hosting a conversation, a VR, 3D conversation with a, a colleague who might be in Croatia, you know, and, and young people from all across the EU region would be able to access that conversation, that activity. And um, so that was kind of happening four years ago. And looking at um, examples like Natari, I, I, I thought there was something there to explore in those early days of just trying on the Oculus Go for the first time. And I suppose what I didn't know then, it's kind of mapped out a lot of my work and a lot of my journey from that point to now. I imagine that some people who may be listening to this may not have uh, seen some of these virtual spaces. So how would you describe some of these virtual spaces for those who may not be familiar? So at the moment, Hologen, we have road tested 12 apps for, for education and youth work. So 12 existing applications that can be for um, youth work in terms of their multi-user. We can create private events in them and they're appropriate. So at the minute, there's 12. I would say maybe by this time next year, it, there'll easily be 30 different apps and experiences and environments. So what they look like depends on the, the application. So it could be like a, a golfing experience where we could be setting up a private event and you know learners, young people could drop in for a game of golf with a number of, of youth workers. Um, and that could be a regional game. So it would look very much like a, a, a 3D simulation of a putting green or a driving range or something like that. Um, in addition to that, we have some more kind of applications that we would be kind of aimed towards like education, so more, more formal. So you would be in an environment that would look maybe very similar to a lecture hall or a lecture theater. Um, and the avatars would look possibly, you know, quite realistic. Um, on the flip side of that, there's some of the very popular kind of social platforms um, for, for gaming, um, such as Rec Room and Outspace, and those avatars would look very, very kind of cartoony. Um, and they're lots of fun, they're quite bright colored. Um, so it does it does sort of differ for, from app to app in terms of how it looks. Um, but I suppose a, a kind of overarching explanation, it would be a bit, it would be a 3D kind of simulation of a variety of different environments that we would be familiar with offline. That's one of the interesting things, like when I'm thinking about VR, where there's a familiarity to it. There's a familiarity that I think people who are maybe not involved with it yet haven't really kind of experienced, that it's actually not like as big a leap um, as many people think. Uh, go uh, like and the the ability then to engage in these spaces is actually quite easy um what was like i i know that you've done youth work before and like you've you've brought up this idea with many groups that you've worked with before what has been like some of the initial reactions of like colleagues or partners when you first presented the idea of these virtual youth spaces 
Yeah, that's that's a great one. It just hit like every kind of every part of the gradient from that sounds amazing through to hell no, it's not for me, you know. So there was a number of colleagues who just were just a bit anxious about the whole idea of it. Um, but the majority was somewhere in the middle where I have no idea what you're actually talking about, but I'd really love to give it a go. Um, so some of my when I was working with the National Youth Organization um, for OIGA, I had a number of really great colleagues back then who were already well up and running as digital youth workers and had VRs already. So we had sort of almost organically started to look at the idea of a, a virtual youth space. Um, so that was definitely great to have a number of colleagues within that digital team who were happy to kind of start piloting um, the idea of some of these, these apps for youth work and educational purposes. Um, but most of all, going back to your question, Dave, would really be, I think the general reaction would, would be like, it sounds amazing, but I've no idea what you're talking about. And then someone would probably say, I think a typical response was like, oh, I tried that once. It was a roller coaster and I felt sick. And you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? I think my first experience with VR, like proper VR, was something similar where it was like a skydiving thing. I feel like what you're doing, it's gone way beyond that already. Doing that would almost be like showing somebody the first ever video on YouTube and then trying to explain that it's going to become the second biggest search engine and some uh, the biggest like platform for user-generated content and then going, hang on, how did you get from this to this kind of thing? Yeah, like, like one of the onboarding points that I have um, with, with people who are interested in getting started would be the one of the first points is, do not go on VR roller coasters as your first experience. So, and then that that's became like a whole thing really in terms of like, well, what where do you direct people when they've just gotten this and unbox this headset? Where, where do you direct them if if this is their first ever experience? And the, the good news is there's lots and lots of really nice entry-level, um really kind of uh, detailed experiences that are way, way better than you know, jumping, base jumping or something like that, you know. So one of them comes that comes to mind would be the Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam, for example, has a really, really um, lovely free app of that whole experience. And like things like, you know, some of the some of the rooms you go into in there, you can actually see the dust particles um, coming through on the, the windows and the light beams and things like that. You know, for wow. me, it's, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like it really is. And that, that really important message that's embedded in that experience as well. Um, so there, there's already like a, a list of spaces and ex experiences that I'd be recommending as, as people go to as their first experience rather than those, those higher octane ones. The ability to almost interact with that space for people that, you know, who may never have the opportunity to like be there physically it must be such a great feeling, especially, I, I mean, I'm kind of thinking on multiple different fronts here, but I'm thinking of people that are passionate about history, where they can engage with history in a new way. I'm thinking about students in a classroom, uh, seeing and experiencing something that they can't get from a school trip or from just a teacher telling them about it. It feels like that the educational possibilities are, are endless here massive like and that's some of the work and some of the ideas that i'm starting to explore with with new friends and colleagues from from many regions is this idea of a, a virtual learning lobby where 
you know, young people very much so will be encouraged to do their their, their work in, in school and, and, and out in the physical world, shall we say. But we're also look, we're also now presented with an opportunity in these multi um, multi-user platforms and spaces where effectively we could set up like a virtual space that would represent young people's work. You know, it's almost like a, a virtual show and tell. So young people could be displaying um, uh, posters of some of their projects, some of their entrepreneurial ideas, and and maybe even pitching an idea to a group of, of other learners or, 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 or educators from many regions rather than it being like a localized thing. Um, so absolutely. And, and again, these, these are, these are things that we're already doing. Um, we're already starting to evolve with these platforms. The platforms, most of them are free. Um, one that jumps to mind as an entry level, amazing multi-user platform is Outspace, which is owned by Microsoft. And it's just been, it's been huge in terms of, for me, in terms of being able to use, uh, an accessible multi, um, user safe platform that is easily uh, it's easy for people to get onboarded with, um, and I would still use Outspace very regular even to this day. Um, so there's there's huge opportunity around education, particularly across wider regions. And again, looking at those learners, young people who maybe physically would not be able to get to a learning space because of where they live or because of a, an additional um, challenge in their lives. I think immersive technology such as VR really does it really has kind of broken the mold in terms of how we can go back over those overlooked learners and those overlooked young people and, and see what we can do with this. How are the younger, the, the youth that you're working with taking to this technology and to these spaces? It's been amazing to watch. It really has, you know, some of the pilots that I've worked on in the last few years has within Ireland has really uh, been amazing. So for example, um, Earlier this year, we, we did um, an eight-week pilot with young people from islands all, all along the north and western kind of um, seaboard of Ireland. So young people who'd be living in, in kind of island communities, very isolated, particularly in wintertime, um, maybe having, having to catch the boat to school for the week and then stay in the mainland and travel back. And all, all of this kind of um, quite historically um difficult learning kind of journey that these young people had, had to kind of endure. So I think it was February this year, we we launched um, uh, an eight to nine week project that was um, effectively a, a VR cafe for young people who lived on islands. Um, and each each Saturday afternoon, we went live, young people from starting with Rathlin Island up in the North Coast, right down to Bear Island off the coast of Cork. Um, we, we had this meetup and we had 12 young people from all of these different islands, eight, eight islands, 12 young people. We had um, a VR meetup hosted by uh, uh, a team of different professional youth workers and educators. And it was just amazing. So all of the young people had used VR before. So there's a little bit of onboarding, a little bit of support work and getting them set up. Um, but what I found with this group and other groups and other pilots that I've worked on over the last few years is once... Once you get that kind of onboarding piece out of the road um, and young people kind of are in there as avatars, they just start interacting very, very kind of normally to a, a, a physical youth space or a physical classroom. There's that kind of like, you know, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of fun, lots of questions, um, maybe some VR or some 3D kind of objects being kind of moved around or thrown about the place. And. Um, it all becomes quite normal in many ways. And I suppose overall, 
I was quite um, quite interested to see how quickly most, if not the majority of these young people took to this platform and this technology and, and were able to use it much more fluently than maybe some of the um, some of the older people I was working with. You know, one thing that you said there was that you were working with like people in like youth in remote places and uh, people that may not have had the opportunities to, you know, meet physically or engage in this way. I, of course, everybody, we pretty much talk about it in every podcast, but I have to bring up COVID because I imagine that COVID drastically affected the adoption of this as well, where in a similar way, we were almost like put into this forced isolation. Um, and I imagine then that, you know, the, the the almost like the need or the want for something like this must have grown during this time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, 100%. Like in the lead up to COVID, um, I'd already been using VR as an artist. I'd already been starting to incorporate VR into some of my work at that time in the north inner city here in Dublin. And I found VR as a, a youth working tool to kind of engage with young people who had disconnected in many ways from school and other services. I found having a VR in the youth space just to say, hey, do you want to drop in for half an hour and go on a VR head? Like the, the, lots of the young people were, were knocking on the door and it was it was a really great tool to make that connection with them. Um, and, and I was starting to kind of uh, talk to whoever would listen uh, about the idea of a, a virtual youth space and I wasn't getting much traction people were like eh, I don't know what you're talking about and uh, you know everything you know I suppose the the general consensus not just within the organization I was working with but I think generally was like online is is bad and all youth work and education needs to happen in person um so I was kind of like already thinking about this kind of idea of a virtual youth space in the lead up to COVID but certainly when COVID struck and and you know everywhere was found ourselves in a very different working and living situation. Um, it was an excellent time to revisit the idea of this, this virtual youth space. And I was able to get uh, funding. I was asking for 12 Oculus Go's, which were rap rapidly becoming harder to, to source because of everyone starting to realize, well, hey, we can actually meet in VR. Um, but I asked for 12 and I got 40. Um, people in head office got quite overexcited and, and I got like uh, funding for 40 of these headsets. Um, which was amazing. Uh, it was a hell of a lot more work than I was expecting. Um, and then it was just a matter of, of kind of um, shipping these headsets across the country, across Ireland, onboarding some of um, the staff members who weren't using VR already, and then for those staff members to recruit young people in. So we went in September 2020, we went kind of live with the first VR pilot when Ireland was heading towards its second national lockdown. Um, and within that, we had young people, 40 young people from 18 counties, and we had about 20 staff members and volunteers who were um, who were signed up to co-host these series of events using again Outspace VR, which was which was huge and still is really really important to demo how we can bring youth services and education learning into a multi-user space. So we went live in September 2020, and again when when I had the the event, when I had established it, set it up and onboarded everyone and it went live and people started to drop into this this virtual youth space i suppose immediately i went like this works this this totally works and one of the things that really stuck out for me was 
the young people had their, their accents. So we had Cork accents chatting with some young people from Donegal. Um, and, and some of the sort the softer information that I knew was some of these young people were were coming from care homes where they were dropping in from reception centers. Some of the young people had additional challenges in their lives, but that really the VR space really offered a blank canvas, a, a sort of flattening of the landscape for all of those young people to kind of partake in a youth service. So I, I was I, I knew it was working within the COVID context, but also I knew immediately that was a lot more mileage in this post-COVID, and that's where I found myself now. A quick pause in today's podcast. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll probably know that we like to really focus in on one innovator or one business as we go through the episode. We're going to be experimenting a little bit moving forward. You're going to hear a few different changes. I may even present some news directly to you. We're also going to be experimenting a little bit with the format. We would love to hear your thoughts on this. So please, if you listen regularly and you have feedback, if you like something that we've done, please email hello at digitalirish.com. Now back to the interview. In the last few months, you've gone freelance. You've kind of embraced an entrepreneurial spirit here, it seems. And you seem to be like advising and working with uh, multiple different organizations, if I'm, if I'm hearing right. So could you tell us about like what's been happening in the last couple of months with you? Sure. Yeah, sure, Dave. Um, so things have, I've, I've went freelance with Hologen um, about five or six weeks now. Um, it's been an idea that I've been working on for quite a while, but it was just a matter of, of timing and, and it felt like the right time to do this. So um, within the week, the first week of going freelance, I was invited to Estonia to speak at a youth working conference. Um, and I had a really amazing time there. Um, I suppose talking similar to this about um, my my journey as a youth worker and educator using VR for fully virtual groups in Ireland. Um, so that was that was really great for the first week of freelance. And from that, there's been lots and lots of interest and conversations around EU projects and you know, local governments. For example, the local government in Sardinia is really interested in, in, in bringing in Hologen to kind of help them develop a digital layer to their youth service over there. Um, so that would be just one example. Um, I'm heading over to Finland just after Christmas. There's a cluster of islands to the east of Finland, and they effectively want me to kind of replicate that island pilot that I did um, earlier this year in Ireland. Um, they have dozens and dozens of islands, which I, I'll be honest, they never knew were there, but they are. And in, in winter, young people who live on them are quite isolated. And the idea of a virtual space where they could all log into a, a VR youth meetup is something that I now understand the uh, the director of that youth service is very, very interested to explore. So I'll be heading over there towards the end of January of next year. Um, so Europe and, and Europe services and local governments are very interested to kind of get a handle on virtual youth and education spaces. And we're all working already towards this idea of piloting a pan um, EU VR youth space um, and it's back to that kind of idea where countries could have VR kind of educators and they would be hosting multi-user events where young people from all over the EU could drop in to a conversation around mental health. It could be around maybe 
sort of green issues and sustainability, or it could be just a meetup around maybe having a tournament for paintball or something like that, you know. So that's something that I am already talking to a number of countries around piloting in Europe. In addition to that, um, I'm working with some really great people from the Clubhouse Network who are, ba who are based in the States. Um, Clubhouse Network um, are a global education organization, but would be quite American, North American centric. I think they have about 40 sites across the US. Um, so at the minute, I'm working with some great people in Boston, Oakland, um, LA, Pittsburgh, Detroit, to name just a few. And, and again, um, the Clubhouse Network are very, very interested in looking at the idea of a virtual clubhouse where young people could access um, after school and future skills learning activities in, in VR spaces. Um, so that's just two kind of uh, wider kind of conversations happening at the moment. And then I've got some really exciting kind of um, pilots that have been approached around. Um, one would be that we, we chatted a little bit about already was a, is around using VR for, for visitation um, to in, incarcerated parents. So the idea being that young people who have an incarcerated mom or dad, rather than them have to historically go to that institution and, and go through security and be presented um, with, a, with a very kind of negative and maybe everlasting um, experience of their parent being in, in jail, the idea is that we could use immersive technology <clears throat> for the parent to actually visit the young person while still being in jail. Um, I think that would be huge in terms of the young person turning something that was, has been a very, very negative experience for young people into something that could be a lot more positive and creative. Um, I'm already thinking that that could involve young person and parent having a game of pitch and puts, for example, and having a, a discussion about how school's going, similar to maybe the conversation that happened in, in jail, except that the young person doesn't actually have to go there. Um, so that, that's kind of like a little bit of a whistle stop of what's going on at the moment, but um, there is lots and lots of other conversations um, and it's it's really exciting and very, very, very busy as well. This is, I mean, there seems to be just so many different potentials. There. I mean, the prison visitation is a fascinating one. I mean, you know, uh, there, there seems to be so many benefits there. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the the studies that have been done on the impact of having an incarcerated parent has on children and how not having that uh, connection with them and almost feeling detached from them. And this almost seems like a potential to start bridging that gap. It's it's quite incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, it, with so many, it, there's so many. It, it seems like there's so many possibilities at the moment. It's like, what are some like initiatives that you've seen as well that are are currently happening that people could check out just to see that you know this is uh, the the impact that this is already having. Um, impact. I, I suppose, like, uh, the one thing I would say, I'd be a, a bit conscious of the lot, there's a lot of hype at the minute. Um, and I, I've kind of gotten to see this kind of happen over the last year or so, maybe around the metaverse and, you know, people not getting what it is and people misunderstanding what it is. And, you know, maybe sort of big corporations getting involved and some people having pre-existing um, ideas and, and thoughts on, on those particular organizations. So, there's that all happening on one side, but I, I can kind of, I can still see a huge opportunity um, and I can see a huge um, and exciting um, technology that's emerging that will allow 
it will allow lots of things to be reframed in terms of how people can access learning. Um, and, and again, going back to those sort of social impact projects where young people who may just physically not be able to get to a space, I think immersive technology such as VR will in the very near future will, will offer solutions to that. Uh, in terms of impact, uh, it's a hard one really to kind of pin down with a specific um, example, but I suppose just going back to, to Outspace, and, and again, Outspace is just one of about 12 apps that I'm using at the moment. Um, but Outspace for me, I can just see on, a, on almost a weekly basis that it's just evolving into this really kind of, in <laughs> this rich kind of virtual world where, you know, people can go to like a meditation class, they can learn Mandarin the next day, they can go to a church group if they want. There's even like open mic and stand-up comedy shows that they can go to. Um, maybe when I first started using Outspace, there wasn't there wasn't that much content for sure. There wasn't. Um, so I think if I had to kind of look at something and, and show as an example of terms of impact and what, where this is going and how, how how sort of it's being reflected in society is being reflected in virtual spaces. Outspace would be a good place just to, to look at in terms of what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis on there. I love that. Excellent. Um, so plenty there to check out, which is great. Uh, and it, the one thing that I want to also kind of pivot to slightly here is because, you know, a, a there's some fantastic opportunities here, but with any new technology, um, there's always questions of minor safety. I, I feel like that minor safety is an uh, is an inevitable conversation, um, and I imagine that this is top of mind for you as well as a youth worker to make sure that these are safe spaces for people to show up and in interact. For for those who are uh, looking at this space right now, like what what are the things that you're seeing right now that could almost reassure those like wondering about minor safety? Or are there still areas that you feel like that could be improved on minor safety in this in this space? Yeah, like I, I suppose what what I would what I would be seeing in a, on a regular basis if I choose to go to the open social spaces, particularly some of the apps not um that would be popular with with younger people um if you go to like a, an open social space they have these kind of lobbies and different areas that are just open 24 7. um it's it's chaos you know it, it's and you're going to hear lots of inappropriate words um and you know it's it's no holds barred um and for all of those reasons i i suppose I, I look at it from a context that this is where young people are choosing to go regardless. And we have two options as adults and, and educators in this conversation. We can kind of stick our head in the sand or we can kind of go, well, OK, if this is where young people are going and likely this is where they're going to be, how can we use these spaces to connect and open up sort of safe spaces and um, positive um, events and creative positive events for these young people to attend? Um, so one of the things that's really underpinned all of my work and, and will continue to do so, Dave, is that I would look upon any platform once it has kind of been road tested with those first three questions. Is it multi-user? Can we make a private event on that platform? And is it appropriate? Um, I would then look at that app similar to a, a classroom or a youth space. 
uh, would be very, very, there would be no difference in terms of all young people need, need to be registered to be there. Any adult that's going to be in that space needs to be, you know, vetted and needs to be professionally kind of registered to be there. And, and, and additionally, all caregivers and parents would know that, you know, Dave and Barry are hosting an event on Thursday evening and it's from six to seven and after that it's over. And in that time, we will be sort of looking after everyone and all of that kind of stuff. So keeping parents and caregivers and forums in, in, in constant kind of um, communication. But I suppose the really good rule of, rule of thumb would be just to look at all of these platforms as if it were a physical youth space or a classroom is something that I think is really helpful. Um, addition to that, any groups that are being created, um, it's it's we just do not bring them to the social spaces. We do not bring them to the open spaces. Um, it's just not something we know they're there. And we also know there's a chance that some of the young people who are in, in your group, that they might go there afterwards, but it's, yeah, it's just not a space that I'd be advising um, for, for, for anyone to bring a, a youth group or a learning or a class to. I, I love that idea of put, almost think of the, uh, think of the VR space as if it was a physical space and think about like how you would be considering safety in that regard. It's almost like, Hey, like if you were sending your kids to the cinema, you would have maybe a chaperone. So maybe one of the parents also joins in. If, you know, you, uh, if the kids were doing a sporting event, you would want to make sure like, Hey, like who is this coach? Like what are like, what's their background? It's almost like, Again, going back to a comment I made earlier about there's almost a familiarity with this um, of it's it's applying what you've already experienced elsewhere in the real world into this environment. It's not that it's not actually that different in the thinking. Obviously, there's technology that has to come into play for, you know, for the safety side of things. But there's also this kind of, well, what would you do in the real world? Um, to make sure that your child is safe and how can you apply that to this to this virtual space absolutely uh and one of the things the before each event um there is an email and a text sent out to the young people to the co-hosts and to the parents and caregivers who have signed off on the registration form so before every event there's a text sent out saying who's online who the hosts are what we're going to be doing what app that we're using, and importantly, when we're offline, when we're done, you know, and it's a hard stop. So it's either 45 minutes or 60 minutes. Um, once that time is over, the, the meetup, the club, the group is over, you know. So it's kind of like there's a text sent as well to the caregivers and people just to let everyone know we're offline now. It's it's not our, you know, the event, the, the event is done and we'll be back online the same time next week or whatever it might be. In addition to that. And most of the equipment I'm using at the minute is uh, Oculus Quest 2s. Um, and they really have a really excellent um, app that you can actually stream. You can cast the content to your phone or tablet. Um, so we'd be encouraging caregivers to, to cast our events, you know, so they can have a look and see what we're doing. Um, could be like a game of charades or, you know, Uno was quite popular at the minute, actually, the card game. Um, but... I always really think it's good practice um, to to work with your groups of learners like their parents are in the room with you as well. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And that's what we'd be encouraging as well. So using the casting feature to join in and have a look and see who's hosting and what we're up to and who's 
who's kind of uh, throwing what 3D object at whom. And uh, uh, VR food fights are quite a thing, and I understand as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good icebreaker, actually. <laughs> I, I love that. It's it's almost like there's um, it, it's almost like all of the, there's a lot of things that potentially you wouldn't allow kids to do in the in the real world that you're like hey we actually can do this in like a safe way and uh it's it's like wish fulfillment you know it's kind of like in a 45 minute event um there's a good maybe 10 minutes at the beginning just set aside for you know a food fight or you know just just let the energy go like, like and then then when you get it out of your system then we can focus on the conversation or whatever it is that we're going to do that particular evening um so yeah absolutely it's like you know that food fight you can't have in your own kitchen let's have it here and then we get that out of the road so <laughs> move forward that's that's amazing um so thinking about the future now because uh you know you you spoke about how there's a little bit of hype at the moment, but there also seems to be a huge amount of opportunity, huge amount of benefits. Uh, what are your hopes and aspirations for this space in two years from now or five years from now? What does success look like? Okay. Um, I mentioned at the minute there's about 12 apps um, that have been road tested for educational and youth work. Um, so they range from uh, multi, multiplayer, multi-user DJ experiences, so learning how to DJ using a really great um, app called Tribe, um, graffiti, multi, multiplayer, multi-user graffiti experiences through to kind of, you know, more kind of like, um, let's talk about something, you know, on the conversation when the mic's over to you. So at the minute we have about 12 of those. Um, I think in the next year, two years, there's going to be more than 30. And you can almost weave uh, a youth program through that, depending on what the young people want to do. Could it, it might be world building, world editing. It might be 3D sculpting. Um, it might be graffiti, DJing. It's it's kind of like, so in the next few years, I'd really like to see Hologen evolve with these apps, with the technology. You know, at the minute, it's Quest 2s that I'm using. I, I know that there's another big kind of device that's going to launch early next year. Um, so evolving with the technology, the software is something that I'm really keeping a focus on. Uh, in addition to kind of building out this idea of a, a virtual educational youth space where, you know, it could be pan-EU, it could be um, North American and beyond. Um, just on Tuesday of this week, um, there's there's a, a block-based coding app called Scratch. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's really great for, you know, entry-level not just young people, but um, anybody, anyone who wants to get an idea of how to kind of code, they can use this um, really great and creative kind of platform that was created by MIT many, many, many back in the mid 2000s, I think. But as an experiment, myself and a really good friend and colleague, Gus over in Mexico City, we, um, and again, use an L-Space because it's just the best place to kind of experiment these things. But myself and Gus, we hosted a, an introduction to Scratch in L-Space. And he was in Mexico City, I was in Dublin. And for me, I was like, wow, okay. And it worked. We had people drop in, ask questions. And there was some follow-up emails about, you know, can you do can you do more of these next year, which we are going to do. Um, but for me, it was kind of another little light bulb going, wow, there's, there's definitely a growing audience here for this and how um you know educators from different regions different parts of the world could kind of co-host 
learning experiences for not just young people, for anyone who, who might be interested using this technology. So being able to evolve with the, the apps and, and kind of build out that kind of um, toolbox of different experiences for education and youth work, um, looking at new pilots, mentioned the, the prison one, that's just a really, really interesting one for me. Uh, and then looking at kind of regions where young people are kind of overlooked, you know, so I might be traveling to, um, northern iraq in, in easter um with a dublin charity called the scoop foundation wow so yeah yeah so that that's another one that's kind of another spinning plate that's happening at the minute so um interestingly um the two brothers who who founded scoop um i've been chatting with with calvin who are both 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 lads are, are djs um in in their in their background and their passion and I was kind of uh, showing Calvin this, this VR DJing um, app that we've been using for youth work in Ireland. And he was just blown away. He hadn't he hadn't used this app, this app before. And immediately he was able to put the VR headset on and he was mixing tracks and like he was just loving it. So I was like, look, this is, you know, I know you guys work in Ukraine and you work in like, you know, the with with the. Um, with the, the refugee kind of camps in northern Iraq, um, I think there's something here where we could use this technology to give young people in those 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 camps a voice. You know, I think if we went and we did, we obviously would have some fun and they'd be able to try this out. But I think if we were able to capture some of their daily realities. We could use like 360 cameras and bring them into like a viewing room in VR and, and open that event up to, to kind of an, a global audience. So. Um, Calvin has asked me to travel over to that region in April, which is something that I'm really looking forward to, but I'm also bracing myself because some of these young people in these camps have just grown up there. And the guys in Scoop talk about when they first started, they've been there like almost 30 times over the last 10 years or so. And they say that the more that they travel to these camps, the less agencies are working there in, in, um, in contrast to the families are starting to actually build like kind of their own houses. Like it's not tense anymore because there just is no, there's no possibility or there's no option for them to move on anywhere else. They're just languishing here on these kind of, in these regions and young people are growing up there. And, you know, I had never, I had never heard of this region before. So for me, I think, you know, looking at kind of social impact kind of projects, such as the, you know, that, that work with maybe the, the young people in, in refugee camps and maybe giving them a pedestal um, using immersive events um, that capture their reality, in addition to maybe piloting the uh, the, the the prison visitation, is are huge motivators for me. Huge, I think it'd be amazing to work on on something um, projects like that. Um, but building out a, a, a sort of a global network of friends and colleagues, creatives, educators um, who who want to get a handle on this and this technology and see how we can collaborate um share ideas and evolve as as kind of a global team is something that would be a huge focus for me as well and hologen going forward uh, that's uh, again like i'm i'm just amazed by the opportunities and just the the scale of the work and the aspirations is just incredible um so you know our community at the digital irish is filled with self-starters aspiring entrepreneurs investors is there anything our community can do to help with this continued work and the continued growth? Yeah, look, I, any any help at all, like I'm open to, <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of learn, if anyone wants to know a little more about some of the, the work that I'm doing, I'd be more than happy to speak with them. Um, investment would be a focus going forward for sure. 
Um, I'm also kind of looking for people to help with some of the research aspects of things. That wouldn't be my skill set. Um, so anything at all, like if there's if anyone was interested, as I said, in, in learning more or, or sort of floating an idea past that I could kind of talk to them about, um, I'd be more than happy to do so. Um, and indeed, if anyone has a VR and they're interested, we have a we have a meetup every Friday at um, 5 p.m. Dublin time, which is 9 a.m. on the West Coast. Um, so we have probably about 15 educators now from various regions um, who are dropping in each Friday at 5 p.m. to Outspace, my favorite app. Um, and everyone's welcome. If, if someone wants to drop in and say hi, there it, it, it's, it's an open door and I can invite them into that. Amazing. That's, uh, that's fantastic. So, um, we'll be sure to make sure to include some details of that in the show notes as well. Just so, uh, just so that people can, uh, kind of jump in directly from there. That's amazing. Um, well, listen, Barry, I can't thank you enough for taking out the time because it just, you, you seem to have so much going on at the moment in such a growing space. Um, just thank you so much for sharing your insights and sharing what's going on in your world. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. If you have an idea for a guest on a future episode of the Digital Irish podcast, please email hello at digitalirish.com. Here's a preview of our next episode. The, the, the promise or the hope is that we have an interoperable world with a set of standards that you know, most people adhere to which is safe and secure, pleasant. If we can keep it open and interoperable, then more organizations, more individuals, more communities can also participate in a trusted world. And that's why we're all working very hard to create an open, interoperable, trusted metaverse. Thank you as always for listening. Please do share this podcast if you found it interesting. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.